Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Good morning. Welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Now, before we play the interview regarding sleep and such, we're going to do the uh, news of the day because the news is crazy as usual. Let's begin not with the Royals and Meghan Markle. I just can't believe this is occupying all of the websites. I despise the Royals. I've always despised the Royals. I've been anti-royalist since I'm a child. My father mocked Prince Charles when I was five years old. For good reason, Prince Charles is a doofus moron. I've said the royal family is an anachronism. It should be dissolved and the wealth uh, divided up amongst the poor of Britain. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I am totally anti-royal. So why would I care about this? I don't. So let's jump to the next fantasy, which is the New York Times this morning. And here's a headline if you're ready for this. Good morning, why has COVID's toll been surprisingly low across much of Africa and Asia? They're calling it epidemiological whodunit. All the geniuses can't figure this out. So let's see if I can figure it out. So they say that the virus has killed a fraction of as many people in Africa and Asia, despite their relative lack of resources, as it has killed in Europe or the U.S., and then they show you confirmed COVID-19 death rates per million residents ranked by average income. And of course, the United States is, of course, very high because we have too much income. But if you go all the way down the list, you see that Japan has a very low death rate per million residents. You listening to this? Britain has the highest, 1,862 deaths per million. Japan has 65 deaths per million. U.S. 1,580 deaths per million. You go down the list. Thailand, amongst the lowest in the world, one death, one death per million people. Really? 
Vietnam, zero deaths per million people. And then you see Tanzania, zero. Ethiopia, 22. And they can't understand it. They don't understand this. So they go through the whole story. And they say the pattern is not at all understandable. Is it a statistical mirage, they ask? Is it because of underreporting in these countries? Or is it because poorer countries have a younger population? They're, They're asking all the questions. Is it because many people live outdoors and fresh air helps? Well, we wonder because um, they don't know the answer. They're geniuses at the New York Times, but they don't have any answer. They don't understand why. Why are deaths lower in Africa and Asia than in much of the United States and Western Europe? Well, let me cut to the chase because people are not as fat. In plain English, if you look at the deaths in the United States of America, most are amongst people over 80 years old. That's number one. And number two, uh, the next largest group of people who are fat, obese, overweight, okay? Then you look at the death rates here in the United States, uh, uh, and in Britain, by the way, uh, of people dying from COVID in a minority communities. And we're supposed to say it's because they don't get as much care. That's bull crap. The care is equal across racial boundaries. It's because the number of fat people are higher amongst ethnic minorities in Britain and the United States. So that's it. It's that simple. You don't have to be a genius. It's not an epidemiological uh, question mark. Meanwhile, the number of new cases fell in the U.S. yesterday for the ninth straight day. That's not very good for Fauci and the vaccine makers, is it? Hmm. How do you like that? How do you like that? What else is in the news? Well, you want to hear any more other than that about the? <laughs> Let's go to michaelsavage.com and see what's on my website. A governor in isolation, how Andrew Cuomo lost his grip on New York. I'm not so sure this thug will fall. I know the leading Democrat in New York wants him gone because there's a little racial element there. You know, the one behind all of this leak and the pushing him down is Letitia, whatever her name is, the attorney general. And then the leading Democrat is also, uh, you know. So I think that the governor who was a thug, a bully, a mook, a bum, could survive this because the press is still sort of in his hands. Not sure. But uh, how Cuomo lost his grip on New York. I'm not so sure he lost his grip. He's a thug. He's a mook. Oh, did I say that already? Okay, let's move on. COVID-19 pill effective in preliminary testing. Maybe the holy grail of pandemic says some schmuck who works for Fox News. Massive girl brawl at Bath and Body Works. Do I have to look at that now? It's on my website. If you like to watch brawls, let's see who's doing it. Oh, my God. What is this? Employees of all people to whop a woman broke out the weekend at the Fashion Square Mall in Scottsdale. We're a middle aged woman, blah, blah, blah. Where's the racial element to this? Why is there a racial element to this? Well, I see an African-American woman strangling a white woman. So we'll go past that story immediately. We're not allowed to look at that one. Let's go to the next story. Uh, Meghan Markle says royal family had concerns over son's skin color. I could care less about this douche. I can't stand Meghan Markle. She's as phony as, as Oprah Winfrey, another oppressed minority. Cuomo says tax hike on the table despite New York getting $12 billion in COVID plan. I can't believe this. 
So in other words, in addition to getting $12 billion of your money from stupid Joe and Auntie Nancy, he's going to raise taxes in New York again and drive more people out of the state? A genius. Joe Biden's executive order on voting tells agencies to push vote by mail and combat misinformation. So they want more illegal aliens and more dead people to vote so they can hold their grip onto power and completely bankrupt the nation. Citing COVID concerns, judge cancels all evictions in St. Louis County, even for fentanyl dealers terrorizing seniors. I wonder who paid off that judge. White House scrambles on immigration, blames Trump and calls in first lady. White House. Oh, oh, that's Joe who doesn't speak. Okay, so you get the news. That's the news on michaelsavage.com. I didn't have coffee yet. Let's go to the Drudge Report, see if I really gagged now. The actress battles the firm. Police feared baby. Palace feared baby would be too dark. They live in a $14.5 million mansion, but they want to live anonymously and authentically. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't understand the royals. As I say, dissolve the monarchy already. Give the money out to the poor. More women accuse Cuomo. Dems turn. There's no way I resign. Accountant faces pressure to rat on Trump and criminal probe. They're still after Trump. He's not in office and they're still going after him. Okay. Meanwhile, the parties are going out of control in Colorado. Spring break. They're attacking the police. They just want to have fun. Right? So that's that. We'll go to BreitbartNews.com before I have my coffee. Again, Megan tries to cancel the royal family. Again, Markle claims Palace had concerns about how dark the sun's skin might be. Why is that a story? It's on every website, even conservative sites. I don't understand this. Pence plans first post-White House speech. I could care less. I'm sure it'll be as bland as his, as his diet. There's nothing in the news. There are, Israel almost done with corona closures. They've all been vaccinated. Border crisis leaves 7,000 unaccompanied migrant minors in shelters in February. Okay. Biden's still separating migrant children from family members at border. Why, we don't need more of them here? Why not bring them all in? They're all Democrat voters. I think they should lower the voting age to seven. Because when you can think about it, if you're smart enough to come over the border as a non-citizen and not get arrested, you're smart enough to vote for a Democrat, socialist, communist. Biden to sign order on sex harassment, but silent over claims against Cuomo. Biden. That's like saying, I mean, Biden, Biden, it doesn't, he hasn't given a press conference yet. Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus shreds his campaign vow and dangers economy. Are you joking? Who's going to pay for this $1.9 trillion Nancy bailout for all of her, her friends and his friends? Are you joking? I'm supposed to pay attention to this garbage when they bankrupted the Treasury? But in many ways, they're no different than Trump, to be honest with you, really. I mean, why? He wasn't printing money. It's both parties are printing money. I mean, let's be fair about it. What does the budget deficit mean anymore? Apparently nothing to the gangsters who are running the country. They're criminals, gangsters. That's all they are, criminals and gangsters. And who's the head of the Senate now? Charles Big Shoe Schumer. Big Shoe Schumer got up there and boasted that he had a robust bailout for everybody in the United States of America. Boasted about it. Nothing to see here. Let's move on before I close down for the day and give you the wonderful interview with the sleep expert, which I know you're waiting for. Nearly one-third of Republican voters may refuse to get the vaccine. Ooh, I'm one of them. I'm, I'm one of them. 
What else is in that? Look, go to the SF gate now. Nothing. Diet, exercise, Bay Area Hotel declares bankruptcy, kicks out its guests. I don't even understand how this thing survives. San Francisco newspapers. Actually, I'm interested in this story. Bay Area Hotel declares bankruptcy, kicks out all of its guests, including NHL team. I have to see which hotel. Oh, really? The Fairmont? Oh, in San Jose. I don't even know who ever went there. There was Fairmont here in San Francisco. was a beautiful hotel. I used to go there for the um, Christmas holidays. I used to like going in there and seeing the gingerbread house and maybe have a drink there once in a while, but uh, they're out of business in San Jose. A 7-Eleven in San Francisco is permanently closed. That's because the vermin bum scum of the earth, the vermin of the earth, the scum of the earth, the homeless bums, the vermin, the rat-infested vermin bums, put the 7-Eleven out of business and the Walgreens because they robbed it blind because the schmucks made it not a crime if you robbed up to $950. So these vermin homeless bums, these scum, were robbing the 7-Elevens, robbing the Walgreens, taking the goods that they stole, not getting arrested and putting the stuff on the street and selling it. You're wondering why it closed? Look at this worthless garbage newspaper. Oh, I can't take it. Syrian president and wife test positive coronavirus. Bay Area Islands owner must restore wetlands, pay $2.8 million fines. Wetlands, wetlands, a swamp they have to restore. For years, people drain swamps. Now they want to restore them to create malaria mosquitoes. Here's Fauci, this schmuck. Everyone's breathing a sigh of relief that the virus is uh, dying out. They're able to lead a normal life. And this putz, this moron, this vaccine peddler, warns the U.S. could be headed for another virus. By go to hell already. They should put Fauci in jail for what he's done to this country. Let's see what else. Uh, Como won't resign. Trump sends cease and desist. The GOP organization is using his name. He's still in the news. I have friends who are going to uh, have dinner with uh, President Trump this Wednesday night. Really, at Mar-a-Lago. I was invited. I can't mention their names. Uh, but uh, I, it would be nice to go. I would love to go. I still admire President Trump. Look what we have now. Okay, my friends. SF man found fatally shot near Lake Merritt. Ho-hum. Newsom signed $6.6 billion school reopening bill. Yeah, Kamala Harris's childhood home may become a historic landmark. <laughs> another fake, another fake poor minority. <laughs> Why is it every time a so-called minority becomes somebody big, they suddenly became poor as children when they, most of them were middle class or rich? Can anyone expect, explain that to me? I don't have the answer to it other than everyone's full of crap. It's that simple. The news is just garbage. And that's the news of the day on the Savage Nation. But before we go on, what you're about to hear on the Savage Nation is so important that we're leaving it for after the news rather than before the news. It's an expert interview with an expert on sleep and how sleep is so important for, for your immune system, including protecting you against diseases like COVID. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Today's topic is sleep and COVID, just the facts. Is there a relationship between sleep and COVID? How is COVID affecting people's sleep? Does COVID affect the brain in other ways? 
and all you ever wanted to know about sleep and sleep problems because they are at an all-time high owing to the anxiety related to COVID. A lack of sleep can lead to further stress and anxiety during our waking hours. Sleep Awareness Week highlights the importance of sleep on our brains, bodies, and mental wellness. So today we have a leading neuroscientist, a real scientist, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, W-I-L-L-E-U-M-I-E-R, a real PhD, University of California at LA, UCLA, and she's the author of Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance, and Power. She is an expert on sleep and how it affects your brain. She has a wonderful background. We're going to talk with her today. We're going to find out how sleep and the lack of sleep affects other functions of the body, how it contributes to mental acuity, the correct amount of sleep a person may need, what supplements, if any, we should take, and what we should avoid doing to avoid not falling asleep. Let's begin. I need to see where her PhD is from or we're not going to do this. <laughs> so many fakers out there with fake degrees and you are the real McCoy. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So sleep and COVID, the facts. In other words, this is going to go way beyond COVID. And I have to share with you because of the great sort of cosmic ironies that happen. Um, last night, my husband and I, we were in Palm Springs uh, he got diagnosed with a blood clot last week, and he felt that he was another one was coming on. So we rushed back to L.A., got him to the emergency room. And uh, needless to say, I had to stay up with him all night. He didn't want me to go to sleep because he was afraid mm. he could potentially have a stroke. And oh, as right. I was thinking about it last night, I was like, wow, this is this is perfect, isn't it? Like, I'm going to be up all night. Here I am talking about sleep and, and insomnia and sleep issues. But, you know, it just goes to show how prevalent sleep issues are and how common it is. And, you know, a thing that I always like to touch on, you know, for your audience is having a background in neuroimaging. People don't realize what sleep does to the brain and how essential it is. For wait, wait, but sleep. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I look. I trained in epidemiology and human nutrition, but yeah. I'm also back, my background's in, in medical botany. So that's mm -hmm. a long time ago. But I remember last year I interviewed a New York Times reporter who's not a doctor, but he's very smart on the immune system, and he found that the most important contributor to healthy immunity is good sleep. Yes. Which I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. And so that's why when I saw the article about you in the, in the papers, I said, well, let's see. Wow, look at the background. Yeah, who is she, this, girl? <laughs> well, this, this girl? Where did she come from? <laughs> where did, let's go backwards for a minute because I'm sure. so interested in your background. Of course. Where did you grow up and where did you go to high school? <laughs> I, so, I, I grew up in Chicago and went to high school in Barrington. So it's a northwest suburb of the city. So 45 minutes northwest of Chicago. Um, so born and raised in Chicago, grew up showing horses, thought I was going to be an Olympic athlete. Huh. Um, my trainer son is actually on the U S Olympic team. So that that's actually not a pipe dream. I trained with real Olympians. Um, I'm sure it's what gave me the well, fortitude. Are you, are, you, are you an equestrian by training? Yes, I, I am. I, we've had horses in the family for 40 years. I was a hunter jumper. So 
uh, sort of a maverick show jumper. I was that amazing. I so was how, like this, this seven, eight year old. Doc, Doc okay. how do you go from being an equestrian horse trainer jumper? I mean, you know how things happen in life. How did you yeah. become interested in sleep and sleep disorders? Well, it's almost like, how did I become a neuroscientist? <laughs> because that was not my intended, you know, course of action. But, you know, my educational trajectory went from, you know, went to school at, in Boston. I went to Boston College, studied psychology. But because I had been in the athlete space, I really wanted to understand sports psychology and how the mind worked. Um, but then I found that I wanted to take a deeper dive. I just, uh, the way my mind is wired, I wanted to really understand the neurobiology of the brain. And that's why I went to graduate school at UCLA and I studied physiological science. So I started doing the master's degree studying, you know, all the organ systems and then mm -hmm. was really attracted to the brain. And I thought, I want to study something that we think is incurable. So at that time, my work was in the field of Parkinson's. And what is so ironic about that, which I will share with you, is my father ended up getting Parkinson's oh, Lord. about a decade later. So, yeah, I studied a gene that becomes mutated in the young onset form of Parkinson's disease called well, Parkinson's. My, my mother, rest of soul, also suffered Parkinson's toward the <gasps> last number of years. So oh, it's not that no. I'm very familiar with it. And, and, and it was a brief phase of my life that I was involved in Alzheimer's research very briefly for a oh, year wow. or two. Uh huh. I'm talking 35 years ago, and I was interested in supplements, nutrition. Yes. Yep. Using using those that scavenge free radicals, which of course is very popular right now, and I was considered a quack and a nut job for being even looking at the effects of uh, neurotoxins such, such as aluminum yes. on on the brain. And I think today it's sort of accepted. Is that true? Because I haven't kept up with the research, honestly. It is accepted. Yeah. It, it, and I, you know, one of my roles, so I worked at the Amen Clinics as their director of research, but I was also their director of nutrition and nutraceuticals. The goal there um, being able to show that nutraceuticals make a measurable change mm -hmm. in brain function. So Let, let's tell the audience what you mean by nutraceuticals. I know what they are. They may not be familiar with the term. Yeah. Nutraceuticals are just supplements that can be used to change brain function. You think nootropics, right? Anything that you can take. It's not a medication. Um, it's usually from a natural substance and can improve blood flow or alter neurotransmitter levels. Um, the great thing about nutraceuticals is that they are inexpensive and usually have relatively mild to no side effects. Um, We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer is an expert in this field of sleep, sleep disorders. And we're going to dig, dig a little deeper in this. Mainly today where people are anxious over everything political, everything with COVID, and, and rightly so. I mean, people are living isolated lives, all the outlets that we once had, where many of them are completely obliterated in our lives, and they don't know which way to turn, and they're not sleeping very well. And we all know that sleep is critical to immunity and, of course, to, to a sense of well-being. And since I'm calling today's podcast Sleep and COVID, let's begin, doctor, please, with how, how is COVID affecting people's sleep patterns? 
Oh, well, that's a very good question. I think what we really want to look at is COVID is impacting people's mental health. And with the rise in anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress that we're seeing through COVID, that's having negative implications on people's sleep patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, Before COVID, we had 70 million Americans struggling with sleep issues. Now that we're in the pandemic, that's got to be well over 100 million people. So we've got a lot of people really um, trying to understand how to bring their stress levels down and manage their mental health issues so that they're able to get a restful, restorative sleep. Amazing. Well, of course, so people get anxious, which triggers adrenaline-like responses to keep it simple. Correct. Then they can't sleep because they're basically, you know, turned on, so to speak. The the brain is turned on. The brain is turned on. You know, the one thing, so coming from my background as a neuroscientist, the one thing that I like to share with people is that sleep performs three, well, performs many important housekeeping functions in the brain. But, you know, one, it helps to clear uh, toxins and abnormally folded proteins that can lead to Alzheimer's disease. While we're sleeping, the brain is cleansing itself? That is correct. We have something called the the lymphatic system, which is like a brainwash. So Hmm. while we are in those deeper stages of sleep, Hmm. our brain is able to clear all of these toxins that build up during the day. That's why if we're not sleeping over time, people with insomnia um, can actually have increases in the level of these abnormally folded proteins that can lead to Alzheimer's. So astounding. You we want to get sleep well, for our cognitive health. I've been a napper all my life. And I mean, almost back to my 20s, I would always find I had to turn everything off during the day. And I wasn't ashamed of it because I always used the Mediterranean model. I had gone to Europe when I was young and I said, what a great idea. They shut the whole of the country down. Yes. For, for the CS. Yes. I said, what a great, great. <laughs> What a great attitude they have. So they would take these long, elaborate lunches, go to sleep, wake up and start their day again at, what, four o'clock and eat dinner right, at eight. Right. right? And, and so they were much, they seemed happier to me, this whole idea. But we don't do that in America, do we? We don't. And I am right there with you when I go to Spain. I love how they have their afternoon, you know, siestas. And, uh, you know, going to graduate school, even when I was in undergrad, I would take naps. I'd actually go to the library with all of my books and I would fall asleep for like two <laughs> hours and then I could power study for another five. So there really is something to that. taking a nap. I mean, you know what we say in the clinical setting, you know, you really shouldn't be napping after 3 p.m. You know, if you want to get a good night's sleep. But I think we also have to listen to the signals that our body is giving us. And if we need to go down for a nap, we should listen. I agree with you. You know, so again, during the, the period I was still doing it, I'd say, what's wrong with me? Why do I need to sleep in the late in the afternoons? What's wrong with my brain that I literally become foggy, tired, shut down? Need to, but I go in a room and I have blackout shades in all the houses or wherever I am. I shut the light out because I know about. Tell me about this. You probably know more about it than I do. I remember about three decades ago, I read that in Japan, in uh, factories, they would have the workers stop production on a regular basis, close their eyes, put their hands over their eyes to stop light from coming in. Has there been any recent study on this uh, light issue and the brain? 
Well, light is essential to all of our cognitive functions. So we are on this 24-hour day-night cycle. So in the evenings, we have this increased production of melatonin, which helps to trigger sleep. And then we have all of these restorative processes that happen at night. As I was saying, the clearing of abnormally folded proteins, we consolidate memories that we learn throughout the day. So everything that's in our short-term memory gets put into our long-term memory. And we uh, regulate our emotions. So when we go into those deeper stages of sleep, um, that's what helps us to be more emotionally balanced through the day. Now, I'm not quite sure what their goal was in doing this in Japan, but I'm sure they had a good reason. And maybe it was just to quiet the mind. So well, that, that's, have- I was, that's what I was thinking. And also, we, what the last I read, the brain consumes 20% of the blood glu- glucose. Yes. Not, is that still approximately true? That is true. The brain weighs 2%, 2% of the body's weight consumes 20% of the body's oxygen. Oh, so well, let, let's say that again to the audience. I remember the number. 20% of our blood glucose goes to keeping the, the computer going between our ears, right? That is absolutely correct, which is why it's so important to get the sleep to be able to do all of the great housekeeping things that need to happen so the brain can function optimally. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, a renowned neuroscientist with uh, extensive research expertise in brain function, brain injury, brain disorders, especially sleep disorders. We're going to pause for just a moment here on the Michael Savage Podcast. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. We're back and we're talking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, PhD and renowned neuroscientist about the importance of sleep in relation to COVID and many, many other uh, relationships with illness and health. Let's listen. Again, we're speaking with uh, an expert in the subject, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, on sleep and not only COVID, but sleep and health in general and uh, how sleep affects the brain. Next, we'll talk about how the brain is affected by nutritional supplements, such as uh, simple things that you probably take already, like fish oils. And- yes. We'll, we'll get into Alzheimer's disease a little bit more. I know your time is limited. But there, there's an area that I'm fascinated by. I have a friend who suffers not from I had a, a professor who suffered from Pickwickian syndrome where he would fall asleep in the middle of a lecture. He was a brilliant. He was a genius. And he made some major discoveries. But while he was lecturing us, he would fall asleep in the classroom and then wake up 10 minutes later and continue to lecture. What is that? illness? That is fascinating. It sounds like a form of narc. Well, it's not narcolepsy if he's um, actually alert and attentive. But I, I've actually never seen that, so that's fascinating. To no, me he was too. He's a crazy guy. I won't mention his name. He's long deceased, but he was a brilliant botanist and he had insights into things. I'll just do a sidetrack. So his mind worked differently than everyone else's. And again, he would fall asleep while lecturing and just stop talking. And then eyes would close. He'd stand there. 
then wake up and continue where he left off. They called it, he told us it was Pickwickian syndrome, which is a relative of narcolepsy, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't know the brain that well. Yeah, because usually narcolepsy is when you will, you know, have bouts of falling asleep during the day, although you've gotten a full night's sleep. But it has that feeling of, you know, Albert Einstein, right? You know, falling asleep and waking up and getting the theory of relativity, you know, downloading some sort of information. Uh. Yeah, right? well, it's, it's like Edison never slept. They said he napped. Is that true? I, I don't know. I, I, is it? Uh, <laughs> I read that Edison never went to sleep for the night. He would nap periodically as he needed it and stay awake all the time. I mean, that was a different story, a different time. It Who knows how true that, that is? That is what? a different era. Now we're trying to live to, you know, over 100 years old. So at this point, you know, we're looking at sleep as one of the critical ways <laughs> that people can actually preserve brain function and, and slow down brain aging. That's why mm-hmm. I tell people in the clinical setting, if there's one thing that you do to take care of your brain health, get your sleep, you know, hygiene in order, right? I think everybody can do things to help improve their sleep hygiene. Well, again, getting back to sleep in the immune system, considered to be the number one factor in a healthy immune system is good sleep. So many people in America don't sleep a full night. And they take various pills to sleep, which you probably will tell us are not a good idea. And I don't mean supplements. I'm talking about medicines to make you sleep, meaning sleeping right. pills. Right. Benzodiazepines, antihistamines. Would those, would those sleeping medications actually create free radical activity in the brain? Well, the problem with those medications, they're really for short-term use for people who just aren't able to get to sleep, but they have... Um, they have strong impacts on people's cognitive function. And typically when people take them the next morning, they tend to be foggy um, because it interferes with the sleep cycles during the night. So um, I'm not sure about the free radical component, but we do know that those are short-term strategies, not long-term solutions. So you're, I'm looking at some of your publications, doctor, mm-hmm. and with Dr. Amen in the clinic that you work in, the Amen Clinics. And you have a great paper on the effects of brain-directed nutrients on cerebral blood flow and neuro- neuropsychological testing. Um, a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled crossover trial. It's the real McCoy. It's a real study, a real trial. And I noticed some some uh, herbals in there that are interesting to me. You, you mentioned an alkaloidal extract from Chinese club moss, which is a selective inhibitor of acetylcholinesterase. Yes, Huperzine A. Yeah, okay, so... By inhibiting the enzyme acetylcholine ester, you're inhibiting the breakdown of acetylcholine or you're Correct. increasing you're, you're increasing. So, you're, you, so you increase acetylcholine. So by taking the huperzine A, it actually increases acetylcholine levels so we're able to improve cognitive function. Got it. Okay, so you want more acetylcholine circulating rather than less. Correct. Acetylcholine being the bridge between the nerve gaps, basically, right? The transmitter. Yes, the neurotransmitter that is released in the synaptic cleft. And when you have proper levels of acetylcholine, it will help keep your memory sharp. Yeah, I'm glad I remember some of this stuff. You are doing great. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. I, I hope I get an A. In the- I'm a, I'm a, you get an A+. Plus. Well, I'm testing my memory. You see, I want to see if my memory still works. I working. know you're doing great. <laughs> I haven't read this literature in in so many decades, but it's so fascinating to me. In fact, if I were to start all over again, I would actually go into neuro neuro, neuro something to do with neurology or 
uh, the brain function. It's, That's what it's I'm so an amazing upset. field. I will tell you, I've been in this field for 20 years and it's so fascinating. And there's always just so many new things to learn. And I think one of the great things about being in my field is I learned so much about the brain that I have these extraordinary brain health habits. And, you know, then I turned into the cheerleader trying to get everybody else to do them as well. You know, you were you mentioned about the brain, um, you know, utilizing 20 percent of the body's oxygen and blood glucose. And it's a highly metabolic organ and we need to protect it with antioxidants, as you've mentioned before. So eating fruits and vegetables and green juicing and green teas and having lots of foods that have, you know, high in polyphenols and antioxidants so that you can protect the brain and slow down cognitive aging. And I'm just, I'm so amazed at the science that's out there showing that you can eat a cup of blueberries, you know, three times a week. And if you do that consistently over the course of years, you can slow down cognitive aging by two and a half years. I've been eating blueberries every day for the last 40 years. Oh, maybe, this is that, maybe that's our, that's possibly why I still remember some of this stuff. It's I don't know. true. Yes. That's why, you know, I know you are, um, you were saying you're into the plant. Uh, what's your background in botany and plant? My master's degree was in ethnobotany, and my master's thesis was published as a book by Harvard University. It's a long story. Then I, then I got a master's degree in medical anthropology. And then I earned my PhD from UC Berkeley in a hybrid field of epidemiology, human nutrition, and one other field. So This I, is why you would appreciate this, the epidemiological studies on I you, do. Know, fr you know, fruits, strawberries, and blueberries can reduce your... Uh, risk of heart attacks by a third if you take them again consistently over the course of years. Now, you in your in in this study I cited yes. that you co-authored, you mention ginkgo biloba. Yes. It, does it actually enhance blood flow according to studies? The ginkgo does ginkgo work? It it does. So this is the beautiful thing in our clinic. We use something called brain spect imaging, which measures blood flow and activity patterns in the brain. So we were able to see when we put healthy individuals on that suite of nutrients that you're talking about: brain-directed multivitamin, omega-3 fatty acids, things to boost blood flow to the brain, like ginkgo biloba, uh, vimposatine is also a vasodilator, so that's in the formula, um, huperzine A, which boosts cognition. So we were able to show within a three-month period of time using brain imaging that we saw increased blood flow to the brain. The beautiful thing about that is those results are um, not only measurable, but they're maintained over time. So if we scanned that individual a year later, you'll be mm. able to preserve those benefits. But one thing people need to know is you have to take the nutraceuticals consistently. You need to be on them for at least three months. So there's caveats when you're taking nutraceuticals. What are the caveats? Well, it's just, you know, if you want them to work, there are specific dosages that you take. You have to take them consistently over time to see the results. So that's the one thing that I loved about doing work in the clinic in neuroimaging. We were able to show people, here's your baseline scan. We're going to put you on a suite of nutraceuticals and follow up, do a follow-up scan three months later, six months later, a year later. So I think that's why 
people get excited about staying on the nutraceutical supplements when they see they have a visual marker of their efficacy. So basically, for the average person listening or the ordinary not average person <laughs> to, the, to this discussion yes. between two uh, uh, science-trained people, the things they can do to help them sleep outside of drugs would be what? In other words, we talked about ginkgo. We talked about... Uh, oh, for sleep. So great supplements that are sleep aids. I love magnesium. Um, uh -huh. So. Just uh, you could take a magnesium powder 30 minutes before bed. Magnesium helps to calm the nerves mm -hmm. down. Um, I love GABA or PharmaGABA. So GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain, and GABA helps to quiet the nerves down. So you could do GABA. Um, you could do passion flower or lemon balm. I've got, to, I've got to interject. It's funny. You're the only doctor I ever met who even knows what passion flower is. <laughs> Back many years ago, when I was going through a very difficult phase of my life, I couldn't sleep. I had terrible insomnia. And I went and saw a crazy pharmacist in San Francisco who's long gone. He was in his 80s at the time, a real honorary old man. And, and <laughs> you go into this little store down on Ellis Street. It was full of herbs. Yeah. He was paranoid about the FDA closing them down because it was... You know, he was afraid of them because they were closing down pharmacies that sold herbs. Right. So I went and I told him my problem. So he looked at me, he said, are you with the government? He was one of those old times. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not with the government. He said, what are you bothering me for? One of those oh, my guys. gosh. How so he said, he said, let me lock the door. It was like a little movie. So he locks the pharmacy door. The bell jingles. It's out of a Dickens story. And he says to me, what's your problem? I said, I can't sleep well. He says, what are you bothering me? Go across the street to Joe's bar and have two scotches. Why are you wasting my time? So I said to him, look, come on, cut it out. What do you have here that I can use? So he pulls out this herb and he gives me a bag of this passion flower. He said, just make a tea out of it and leave me alone. Goodbye. Never, never call me yes. again. Yes. Well, it worked. It, 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 enabled, worked. it worked. And I lived on that stuff for a long time. And then I researched it in great detail. I found that it was used in Italy in the 70s. It was being used as a um, a tranquilizer for children. It was so safe. Yes. That's why I love so, plant-based medicine. It's very natural for the body, and it works. So you've yeah. got these, you know, chamomiles and lavenders and passionflower extract and um, valerian root can work. So there's a lot of things that we have at our disposal that can just help to calm the nervous system down. Now, if you don't want to do that, you can always go get acupuncture. And I will, I will tell you between you and I, when I was in graduate school um, and I was working really hard late nights, uh, I would go schedule an eight o'clock acupuncture session at a little school that was down the street. Um, Did it work late. for you? I've tried it here in San Francisco a number of times in Chinatown and that, I mean, I never had an effect. So I usually would direct them. I would literally go into the clinic and say, can you please put points in my head? Because I knew <laughs> oh, I was so in my head. I'm like, you really need to do more points up in the head area. And oh. it got to the point where I would walk in the clinic and my body would immediately calm down. It was really fascinating. It was this. Wait, wait. You mean you would calm down just walking in and. Correct. Okay, Correct. so it wasn't the needles, it was the thought that you were going to be calmed down. It, it was a combination of both. Okay. So I would go in, I'd do the evening acupuncture sessions, because there's a lot of great ways to calm the brain down. You know, you've got the nutraceuticals, you've got 
um, acupuncture. You know, that's for people who are just so spun up that they need something, you know, to help them calm their nervous system down. Um, we've got things like neurofeedback, which is like a biofeedback for the brain where we can do an EEG and look at your brain wave. Why, why, why alcohol has a, a, um, the, the worst effect? In other words, it will calm you down and put you to sleep. But often people who drink to go to sleep will awaken suddenly when the blood sugar drops. Right. Three, four hours later, middle of the night, bang, they sit up in bed and they're full of insom- the insomnia. They're wired. They're wired because it's a central nervous system depressant, but it also... Um, can stimulate you. It's got that euphoric effect. I mean, alcohol can, you know, give a range of emotions, right? You're happy, you're sad, you're euphoric. Um, But for sleep, you know, we always tell people you want to refrain from having alcohol five hours before you go to bed. Wow. Let's let's stop for a minute. That's important. You're a sleep expert, doctor, and you say don't drink five hours before you go to sleep. I'm so sorry. That's Oscar. (laughs) Oscar needs a tranquilizer. Give him some. Oscar definitely needs a tranquilizer. Uh, (laughs) So, doctor, you're saying don't drink five hours before you're going to sleep? Correct. If you don't want it to interfere with your sleep cycles, uh, you definitely want to have the cocktails earlier in the afternoon. Now, I know that's probably not what most people want to do. Wait, wait, wait. Now, wait a minute. I got. I can have them in the afternoon now. Wow, you're, you're going to be well, drinking up. Okay, so here's here's what we say in the brain imaging world, right? If you're healthy, you don't have any psychiatric issues, one to two glasses of whatever you want a week is perfectly fine. A week? Oh, come on A week. <laughs> you know, hey, you, I've I, seen I, I'm sorry, of you know, you and I can talk forever, and I know you're busy, but listen, I remember years ago, I used to joke on the radio that the American Medical Association said <laughs> that two ounces of alcohol per day is okay, two ounces. But I said the British Medical Association said that five absolute ounces of alcohol a day was fine. And I said, I'll take the British view. Right. I mean, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think that the challenging thing with alcohol is for some people, you know, if there's addiction that's in their family, it's like opening Pandora's box. Absolutely. Once you give the once you give the green light, and I'll tell you between you and I and your audience, um, my mother's sister, my aunt, passed away from cirrhosis of the liver in her fifties. Oh, um, but now let me tell you, you're going to appreciate this. She was uh, a physical therapist, so she had her PT degree. She owned her own business. She then went and got her PhD from Penn. She was faculty yeah. at university, so this was one very brilliant woman, oh. and she started drinking. We did not know. The family was completely unaware. And then in her 50s, she ends up getting cirrhosis of the liver and, and dies. I oh. mean, it, the, the, the death was just so fast and sudden. What so, a loss to humanity, huh? It, it's a loss to humanity. And I think the thing that people don't think about is there's a segment of the population where if you give the green light for drinking every single day, um, it really, again, opens that Pandora's box. I, and they I can't agree stop. a thousand percent. And I'm not a proponent of drinking at all. And I just to put myself on the record. I rarely drink more than one to two glasses of wine at night uh, at all and any these days because I found it was devastating on my sleep. Incidentally, they're, 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 this is the sign of intelligent life. You, you figured it out. It's so called you, trial and error. How many nights can I wake up three <laughs> o'clock in the morning and say, damn it, I'm never going to drink again? 
Well, you know what's funny? So the alcohol also puts weight on your body. So I used to run brain-directed weight loss groups in our clinic. I've helped thousands of people lose weight. And um, and I did it through teaching them how to get brain healthy. And for people who love their one to two glasses of wine at night, I would say, let's have you try the GABA, the GABA supplement I was talking about, because it has that sort of sedative effect. It lasts for four to six hours. And I was able to transition people off of the wine that they were used to drinking. Oscar, you need to tell Oscar to go drink his Oscar, Oscar, yeah, could you, Oscar, that's why we call him our chief security officer, so he is working hard right now. Let's pause right here. Our guest is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, a renowned neuroscientist, and we're talking about the importance of sleep and the science around sleep. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Let's get back to more of my interview with renowned neuroscientist Dr. Kristen Willemeyer about sleep and COVID, among many other things, right here on the Savage Nation podcast. We could talk forever. Maybe we'll do this again, doctor. I would love that. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, we're going to ask you about marijuana because I have very strong uh, feelings and knowledge about marijuana, particularly the THC component that I oppose completely, especially on developing brains. It's a devastation that is not. I am with you on that. You you and I are in alignment. You know, we um, have done a research study just looking at the effect of marijuana on the brain. And it it calms it down, but it also decreases blood flow throughout the brain. And you want a healthy brain, you want healthy perfusion. And I know why kids do it. I understand. I have such compassion, actually, for why people gravitate towards drugs and alcohol. They're usually just doing it to modulate their brain function. Absolutely. It's self-medication. I had, you know, I grew up in New York. I Everyone was using oh. marijuana. I used marijuana. But yeah. some, of the, some of the people graduated to, to things like heroin and wound up. It's a gateway. It's a gateway drug. I always hated needles. I hated drugs. I never went down that road. But marijuana for me was a disaster because I feel my brain. I used to look back when they would start, you know, saying, why did you stop smoking? And I would say, look, if you have a one string guitar, maybe it'll help that string resonate better. But if you have a Stradivarius uh, like I do, I I don't want all my strings resonating in different in different directions. And marijuana so disturbed my brain patterns that, yeah, you'd get so crazy and paranoid. Everyone who, I have found that people who are super intelligent don't do very well with marijuana, incidentally. They don't. And it's the thing about drugs and recreational drugs. I mean, I understand why people take them. And there's always that um, certain people who, once they start even trying it once, then they can't stop. And that's really scary for a lot of people. Um, and I'm in the field where we help people have healthy brains. And because brain volume uh, decreases 5% every decade after the age of 40, you know, in my mind, anything wait, wait, that... Wait, wait, let's stop. What decreases? <laughs> your brain volume decreases. The size of the brain diminishes? Correct. It's just this, it's what happens when we age. You mean the <laughs> we, brain shrinks as we get older? <laughs> the brain shrinks as oh, we get older. Oh, how depressing. We lose about 85,000. My, my father used to say you have a big head. So look what's happened to me now. <laughs> well, you know what, though? You eat blueberries every day. 
you know, I'd love, to hear, I'd love I, to hear what your diet is. I take so is. many other supplements you, you, you wouldn't know. Now, before we go. I would th- love that. I, one time, you're going to have to tell me your whole supplement regimen. I oh. have people come in the clinic with two grocery bags full of supplements. So it's Well, great. you see, the problem is some of them counteract others. and They, they take of the same things. They take the wrong ones. They take inactive stuff that doesn't work. So before right. you go, I want you to, I want the people to hear what you You've published in terms of a book they can buy, what supplements you sell, whatever you want to tell them about. Go ahead. Have free reign on my audience. Oh, bless your heart. So I have a new book that just came out December 29th called Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Health Performance and Power. It's published by HarperCollins, and it's sold at Amazon bookstores, uh, Barnes & Noble. Biohack Your Brain by Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. Biohack Your Brain, and and it's a very important book, and they can buy it on Amazon, right? They can buy it on Amazon, yes. Okay, that's great. Now, what about supplements? You work in a clinic. In addition to being a neuroscientist and a a scientist, don't you work in a clinic? I I did, so I'm not working there currently. And with with supplements, you know, supplements are – uh, because I used to run, uh, I was the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals. I would tailor supplement protocols to people uh, depending on what their uh, background is. So I'm like you, like what you had just mentioned, you know, some people are taking too many, they don't know what works. So I'm about having a thoughtful program when it comes to taking nutraceuticals and in biohack your brain, I have a whole chapter on supplements and the supplements that I think, what I call brain basics, things that everybody should take, like a, a multivitamin, an omega-3 fatty acid, and vitamin D. I mean, there's just some basics yes, across the board that are that are helpful to people. And because I do things um, by get, having people do baseline lab work, we tailor them truly based on how your body is functioning so basically guess, when we get older the brain shrinks and blood flow diminishes and that affects uh, affects the brain basically but this is why we have to get ahead of it right and you can do things like taking the right kind of nutraceuticals eating the right kind of diet so following the mediterranean diet rigorously can slow brain aging by as much as seven and a half years um, so there's a lot of things that people can do. And, it, you know, in Biohack Your Brain, I go into um, some of the research that we've done in the clinical setting. And, you know, really what started it all was our work in professional athletes. So back in 2009, we did one of the largest brain imaging studies in living professional football players, looking at what happens to the brain um, oh. when you play you know, football. And this was oh my God. It's, a good it's a good thing I was a terrible athlete. I can <laughs> tell you. I, okay, you, I, didn't, you I, didn't play sports? I would have made it to this age if I was good at football. I would have been. I would have had my brain smashed in. Doctor, yeah. I, you have been very kind. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer yes. is a genius in this field of sleep. We have talked about the importance of sleep for brain function, strategies to improve sleep, uh, best supplements for better sleep. We've talked about so many other things today. And of course, don't forget her book. That's very important. Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance and Power. It's available on Amazon. And doctor, again, please make sure that Oscar gets the proper supplementation. (laughs) I will be sure to do so. (laughs) 
He and enjoyed he enjoyed being on the show. Your husband. How was your husband, by the way? I don't mean to make this too personal. You began with your husband having an issue at the beginning of this. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm hoping, you know, he's going to be doing OK. We will find out later today. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time to be with us on the Michael Savage podcast. I hope to have you back in the very near future. I would love that. Thank you so much. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.